let me get to anti-intellectualism. Um, anti-intellectualism, usually when we are talking about it, it has to do something with conspiracy, uh, you know, the flat earthers, not wearing COVID masks, um, <laughs> whether God put fossils in the ground to test our faith in the, in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So I just have one observation. You're kind of already on it that I'll, I'll kick us off here. You're saying it's, you buy into that satanic delusion? <laughs> no, I, I believe that God put fossils in the earth. Oh, thank God. Okay, good. I was That's a bit true. worried. <laughs> to show us. I, I learned that at Kent Hovind's amusement park before he went to a jail for uh, tax evasion. <laughs> Sad end to a beautiful story. I would be very impressed if you get that reference. Anyway, that's a few years ago during the uh, the great God debates of the mm. of the early aughts. Um, <laughs> so we have this typical alarmist response that we are losing rational discourse or losing rational thinking. The plebs don't trust authority anymore. And worst of all, there's a whole book on this. Uh, we're entering a new dark age. And usually it's blamed on social media, something like that. And to that, I want to say, uh, just to start us off here, point me to the age of reason when everyone was just ras rational and everyone just trusted authority. Like, did I miss the entire instantiation and destruction of Plato's Republic? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, this sort of, it's always a response from something like a knowledge class or an intellectual class that's wringing their hands we've lost our magical age of reason as if that's something that existed and that most people were not superstitious most of the time. So that's what well, I, I wanted to start I, out with. I think uh, some, like, uh, yeah, I've, I've noticed that tendency as well. Uh, you know, I th I've heard people talk about like the coffee houses, right, in Europe as being, I think Hannah Arendt might talk about like, like the lost age of coffee houses where people were debating um, people sometimes like to talk about this like lost age of like the post-war like America, right? Or where there's, I mean, I, like, I don't know if that was really like an age of intellectualism ex exactly, but I guess there definitely is a tendency to uh, probably misidentify an age where some particular people uh, seem to collectively partake in uh, in an intellectual activity and then generalize that to be like, that was an age when really it's just a specific particular group that was doing it. Like whoever was going to the coffee houses in France or yeah, whoever could afford it. Yeah. Well, in a way the coffee houses drove intellectualism for many, many centuries going all the way back to Descartes. You have, you have people running coffee shops and intellectual culture developing that way, but not so much anymore. And it's also just a group of people, specific group of people. The big distinguishing feature there is that the poor people or the, the rowdy lower classes would go to the bar and get drunk, whereas the gentlemen would go consume caffeine taken from the colonies overseas, but it would stimulate discussion rather than devolve into you know fights or whatever the lower classes do. <laughs> uh, take beer. I, I think that's fundamentally wrong. Uh, I think that they would probably go and start off with coffee, but end the night with absinthe. So God only knows what they were saying by the end of the whole thing. <laughs> but like, I, I just want to say, yeah. And what's Pass interesting the about wormwood, governor. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about this also is that uh, the kind of nostalgia that Pills is talking about and that um, Victor also mentioned uh, is present on both the left and the right, um, and it's. Quite striking, right? I mean, you can read a book like The Structural Transformation of the Public Sphere by Jürgen Habermas, uh, or pretty much anything from contemporary Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. And there is kind of this nostalgia for an era where we all talk to one another. There was comparably rationalizing discourses available, uh, where there wasn't the kind of hyper-partisanship that we see today. 
manically ideological. Uh, and of course, you see plenty of that on the conservative right also, right? This idea that during the Reagan era, everything was fine and we agreed with epistemic authorities like we should, or during the Eisenhower era, the 1950s, everything was fine and you know, people actually trusted their government uh, and each other to do what was right. Uh, and I do think that we should be wary of all these kinds of nostalgia. Saying that, you know, I do think that there are elements uh, in some of the arguments you see about this. For instance, Habermas's point about the importance of the coffee houses in Paris, right? Uh, that might be worth being attentive to, both because of their historical importance and also because there might be a way of generalizing the potential there uh, in a way that would be useful for our politics. Hmm. In terms of class analysis, though, what's being forgotten is that only a certain, and this is a, the technological argument, only a certain people were able to record their conversations, their thoughts, and their memories because they were the ones that could afford paper. So it wasn't like the entire age was more rational, and that would be the big mistake. It's only that's what we have written down because those are the people that could afford to spend their time writing rather than working. Yeah, they tended to be the haunts of the intellectual elites or uh, culture in the Matthew Arnold sense of like the best and the brightest of any – That those are the people who are in the coffee houses, not the masses, not the proletariats. They were the so-called – Elite, intellectual elites, yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was watching, uh, it was a Jane Austen movie with my mother, and I was something like seven or eight years old. I thought it was really boring, but one of the things I asked her, I'm like, so why was it back then everyone had servants, right? It seems like just every single person in the country had servants, and my mom was like, well, it's just, that's the way it was back then. Uh, and of course, you know, it's not that everyone just had servants, only a few people did, uh, but the only kind of people who could afford to publish novels about their complicated inner lives were people like Jane Austen, right, from relatively affluent situations. It's just a funny anecdote that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. And we're thankful to those people, yet critical. Yeah. So I guess this fear of the new dark age is just a result of one class being able to hear what the other class's thoughts, whereas they never were before? 